0: Building the EU's Gas Transition with Russia. Interview with Terry Bros, Episode 49. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. This week, we speak with Terry Bross. He's a professor at Sciences Po in Paris. In the introduction, I used the term eminent expert on gas. And after listening to this interview, you will be using this term, too. On the podcast, I try to keep introductions short, but pay attention to his experience on the EU-Russian gas roundtable or his lead with liberalization of the French gas market. I'm really honored for him to come onto the podcast to discuss his latest study done with Jean-Arnold Venois. It's published by the Jacques Delors Energy Center, and it's titled High Energy Prices, Russia Fights Back. In my opinion, this is one of the best reports on the current crisis in the gas market. It is direct, clear and full of advice and information. Terry provides a succinct path for how the European Commission and national governments need to navigate the current crisis and overall energy transition. He is very clear in stating, we can't jump from 2020 to 2050. In his view, the Commission forgot this. In this episode, we balance his perspective between the market deciding on the technologies to get us to net zero and governments subsidizing our way through a green transition. That is making energy affordable to households, but smoothing the volatility that is caused by phasing out fossil fuels and the natural rhythm of commodity markets. Actually, to be quite frank in the introduction here, Terry's quite bullish on the use of gas over the long term. So pay attention to that and the role that CCS can play. But overall, I think he's right on the fact that there's 30 billion euros coming from the EU's emissions trading system, ETS. And this money should be used, as he says, to assist households with the transition and put R&D for new technologies right at the center. So don't give the money to large corporations to fund essentially incremental improvements on existing technologies. But for him, he's very keen to have the market work and to push out with, of course, government assistance, uh, new technologies to fuel and to make sure that the energy transition happens. Towards the end, we get to Russia-EU gas relations. Here, Terry's perspective is very clear, too. The EU Commission needs to step up and engage with Russia over Nord Stream and, and this is really important, the medium and probably he would say the long-term role of gas in the EU. He cites the disparaging treatment the EU has given towards Russia on the role of gas in the green transition. As EU suppliers dry up, like the Dutch and Norwegian fields, Russian gas is increasing its share in the EU. This is outlined in the report. It's very clear. A long-term strategy needs to be developed to ensure sufficient investment occurs to weather the transition phase. For Terry, he believes in the long-term viability of carbon capture and sequestration. I say storage because sequestration. I just can't say that. Anyways, CCS is the key for him. And I really like the water analogy he provides. So listen for that, okay? It really just opened up my eyes about why carbon and continuing to use gas, for example, could actually be a possibility. I know this is totally controversial. <laughs> have a listen. For me, it, it was a revelation that, that maybe there was a role of gas over the long term. And I th- would actually have to say, let's be honest, in some countries, the role of gas and even coal over the long term is definitely on the agenda. So let's not close our minds too much about the role that CCS can play. Regardless of your view on CCS and gas over the long term, the current there is definitely a current underinvestment, and this is leading to high prices, just like now. And this is what I discussed in an earlier episode with Adam Szczewski, the chief economist at P.K. Orling. That's in episode 44. It's clear that jumping to a 2050 energy mix without a deliberate strategy over infrastructure and importantly as it's outlined in the gas report here is that how your relations are with your current gas suppliers is actually very important and this is why there's a great emphasis on ensuring a phase transition is done that has specific milestones and there's awareness on this partnership Of the role that investments are necessary even for the medium term in infrastructure and this should help smooth out the volatility in the gas price my suggestion now is to listen to this episode and read the gas report you'll learn a lot about the causes and even some solutions to the current gas prices finally there's an incredible amount of information in these podcast episodes i just listened to this interview over again took lots of notes and just so you know, I do make the transcripts available on the My Energy 2050 website. They're not the best. They're automatically done, but still really useful for your research. I use it for my own research. And so I do suggest to check out the transcripts. And even you could cite an episode in one of your publications if that's your thing. Finally, for comments on, this, on the episodes, I suggest to jump in on the LinkedIn or Twitter posts for each episode and leave your comments there. Social media is a great way to share the knowledge and grow the quantity of high-quality information, such as this episode we definitely delivered today. It's all about how to make the energy transition a reality, because the intent of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to spread the knowledge about how the energy system can assist our transition towards a greener future. And now, for this week's episode. Today, I'm joined by Professor Thierry Bros, a professor at Sciences Po, Paris, and an extremely eminent expert on gas. That description cuts it short, so my apologies. But Terry, welcome to My Energy 2050 podcast.
1: Thank you, Michael.
0: Usually the first question I ask people, and I think it's definitely in your case, with with your background and also a lot of your research and your publications, I see a lot of emphasis on gas and, and security, but maybe you could describe a bit more How and why you became interested in the energy sector?
1: Well, I became interested in the energy sector. I started my career uh, in the energy sector in research. And then I had uh, the honor to uh, be in charge of security of supply for the French state. So I was overlooking the oil and gas uh, regulation. Uh, I also uh, was in charge of the liberalization of the gas sector in in France when I was uh, a civil servant there. So this is why I became uh, uh, very focused on the gas sector.
0: And uh, how, how have you built, uh, built that interest up? You, you got a PhD. Did you get a PhD before you started working for the French state or afterwards?
1: Uh, in fact, I did get it nearly at the same time. Uh, as I said, I started by uh, teaching, but more in uh, refining and chemistry at the beginning. As i said i moved to the uh, civil service uh, for the ministry of uh, economics and then after a few years uh, i uh, i had the opportunity to move uh, for to work for a bank uh, which uh, i where i went in charge there of the equity gas stocks and then i moved into uh, Uh, staffing and co-heading the uh, uh, desk on research for commodities and here I was in charge of uh, European gas and uh, liquefied natural gas.
0: Okay, wow, so you really have a broad experience both on the financial side of things and I would say on the more business side of things for the gas sector.
1: Absolutely, I know both system and I know the fully regulated and the fully liberalized system, yes.
0: And, and actually, that, that helps because I think we'll get into some um, market um, concepts today with regulation and kind of free market um, gas markets. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was to talk about the recent publication you did with Jean-Arnold Venois uh, from the Jacques Delors Energy Center titled Energy Prices, Russia Fights Back. And I really like this report. It, it's, it has a lot of information and a lot of data and charts, but it, it's actually the language that it's written in is very clear and it's very concise, a lot of bullet points, but it really gets to the current issues. And maybe we can talk about that for a few minutes. But first, before we begin to that, maybe you could describe why was this study needed?
1: Well, I mean, uh, Jean-Arnaud and myself, we used, uh, we are very good friends, first of all, and we used to sit at uh, the European table on two sides of the table. He was a representative of the uh, European Commission. I was a representative of uh, the French uh, government. And uh, during those uh, talks, we uh, looked at a few directives, but we also uh, designed the uh, gas uh, uh group in, ter- in charge of security of supply so we were perhaps i would say the uh best person to write this report uh, if i may say so at this time during this crisis and, and i think it was also needed this report because uh, during a crisis you have always the uh, very simple a solution that never works, and so we wanted also to uh, remind policymakers that where we are here is a lengthy process, and you shouldn't just uh, destroy everything because prices are too high. So you have to look more uh, in depth to try to find a solution.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is what the the um, the study outlines. And so, I'm I'm a bit surprised by your last part of the answer there. Actually, is that the high prices, and in one sense. Could you describe why we shouldn't be surprised or what we should do with the high prices?
1: Well, I mean, I think one of the uh, first bullet points of the report is about uh, retaliation acts. And one of these, and the first one is market fights back. Uh, we uh, wanted to move from uh, the long term oil index contract to a more market oriented pricing, which, by the way, uh, if you look at the long term, if you look at the difference between oil index prices and spot prices, you you, you can see that consumers benefited from this. Uh, and, and then, yes, uh, this year is a year where we have extreme high prices. And then uh, policymakers are just focused on this year and saying, well, it doesn't work, so we must scrap everything and move to something uh, new whatever new means for policymakers, which is sometimes something old uh, with uh, let's say fully regulated price or things like this uh, why do we uh, emphasis on the market is working because in the energy transition and this is perhaps where uh, we have uh, something that is different than policymakers, what we are saying is the energy transition is not going to be bloody difficult, as uh, uh, Commissioner Timmermans is saying, but it's going to be uh, bloody difficult because prices are going to go up, because if you want efficiencies uh, to kick in, if you want demand reduction, uh, you have to give a price signal which means that we are going to see higher prices. And when we are seeing higher prices, then you see policymakers worried about uh, their next re-election and trying to uh, fix this with some subsidies.
0: Mm-hmm. For example, in, in Hungary, where they capped they the price of, of gasoline, actually. So not not even... Well, it, they already capped the gas and the electricity prices. So when the gasoline went up, then they also put a cap on that. So And that's, that's one response. And, uh, for example, in Italy, uh, I don't know how much you know about the Italian market, but there's a lot of subsidies now going into the energy sector. And you're saying this is wrong, these, these types of subsidies to try to keep prices low, or...?
1: No, we are not saying this is wrong. We are saying, I mean, a policy should be designed ahead, not reacting. Uh, We should have been aware that high prices were going to kick in. I mean, uh, one of the things that I'm saying quite often to students is commodity is a boom and bust cycle. We've exacerbated this boom and bust cycle this time by the Green Deal, but we should have been aware of this. And so all those kind of subsidies, uh, the way you're using and you're trying to and make sure that uh, the uh, fuel poverty doesn't uh, exponentially grow in our, in our society is important. And you should have designed this ahead. Again, uh, we have uh, an EU ETS that's bringing 30 billion euros uh, per year plus uh, to uh, EU member states. So there is money available. I mean, the question is, you don't just uh, see when prices are above 100 euros per megawatt hour. Oh, dear, I have to find a solution. This could have been foreseen
0: yeah oh, I, I really like that, and it's clearly articulated you. Are, it, it's great. and but then, what does this call for for this energy transition? Because as you outline, it's boom and bust, especially the the energy sector, commodities. And should then the energy transition be much more regulated and directed, I would say by the state, but but we can put the EU in that form too. It'd be a much more top- down directed transition.
1: Well, I mean, no, we believe uh, in markets, is what we are saying uh, at the first bullet point. I I think where we made a mistake, uh, where the EU made a mistake, and and, and I think some eastern countries are uh, fully in line with what I'm going to say, is uh, that uh, we uh, wanted to uh, skip from uh, 2020 to 2050 without even thinking of the next steps. And and, and this is not, again, as, as I was saying, as this is a very difficult path. I mean, you can't just uh, skip 30 years and say, well, uh, we are going to have a green hydrogen economy and everything is fine. No, we will need huge investment we will need huge uh, education of our population to try to understand what this means higher prices uh, this means that uh, the uh, there may be some uh, demand adaptation i mean are we going to be able to uh, all uh, use electricity as, as we are using now on demand or are we going to have to uh, take more intermittency because there is more and more uh, renewable in the system. Those are really important questions. And and what we are saying in this article is, uh, well, uh, and this been two years the new EU commission is there, is perhaps the EU commission has been a bit too dogmatic uh, thinking about green hydrogen and thinking that a uh, solution is there. And again, I'm not a big uh, fan and a big believer of green hydrogen myself. But at the end of the day, uh, what we need is massive amount of investment in a renewable and and this is absolutely needed and this is going to be done by the market even if we can foster it uh, by uh, subsidies or or whatever but we cannot just say on the other side like the EU or like uh, the IEA that gas uh, and uh, oil are passé and we shouldn't invest in it because if you do this then you're creating you're exacerbating the the boom and bust system cycle, as we are seeing right now. So what we are saying is uh, when the EU Commission started uh, two years ago to label uh, um, natural gas, fossil gas, to claim that this was more a problem than a solution, it was a political mistake, because at the end of the day, we are consuming today more uh, energy than we were prior to the crisis. And, and if anything, this crisis is showing us, we like it or not, that gas is needed in this energy transition, which is the second bullet point of our, our study. I mean, uh, if, if we are looking at the outcome of this crisis and if we are just making a very simple analysis of 2021 versus 2019, i.e two years of Ursula von der Leyen versus the end of uh, Juncker, we are seeing that uh, we are paying much more our energy and we are unfortunately polluting more. So, I mean, natural gas is uh, needed right now in the system. Then there is a question, is this going to be needed in 2030, in 2014, 2050? What, what we are looking is really at a short-term problem and we are saying, let's continue to have gas, let's continue to have gas displaced in coal and not the other way around, as we are seeing right now in Europe.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, but then this gets to, uh, I'll go back to your first part of the your, your answer, I think, with um, yeah, we're we're just jumping to twenty fifty, but then the the gas producers themselves need to have some certainty about investments, right? So some the, one of the ideas now is not there is not enough, and actually the numbers back it up, at least in oil, that there's not enough investment going into the sector as historically, and now the we'll just say the market players themselves are being very cautious about new investments or even you know, revitalizing the, the system itself. How how can some certainty be given to those gas producers and those operators operating the, the network itself over the role of gas up to maybe 2050 or even beyond?
1: Well, I, I think here we have two uh, uh, issues. One is... Uh, the uh, global system, and the other one is our own system. Uh, let le- let me start with our own system, i.e., I- I- our own companies, uh, uh, the uh, production in in the EU. And what we've seen in the study is that the EU is now in 2021. 90 percent dependent on foreign gas suppliers. And why is this? Because uh, the Dutch decided to close Groningen uh, because uh, we've decided to reduce uh, the investment in what is the uh, EU North Sea. Uh, I mean, we can also say that closer to us, uh, the UK or Norway are not going to increase their own production, which means that we are giving a higher market share and therefore higher market power to uh, companies that are coming from state-owned countries, and this is uh, the case in gas with Gazprom, or the case in oil with OPEC Plus. So that I think is, is is the first issue. So then there is a question of yes, perhaps it's worth uh, producing our own stuff uh, because our own stuff is firstly uh, produced closer, so it's uh, more regulated, it's cleaner. And again, it provides diversification of supply and so therefore increase security of supply. And then there is the question, as you stated, for the global world. Well, in the global world, and this is what we are saying in this report, I mean, uh, we, we should be technology neutral. I mean, yes, uh, maybe we can uh, uh, speak about green hydrogen, but just stop talking about fossil gas will be something that uh, helps uh, the system. And I think, interestingly enough, if you look at the first leaks of uh, what's going to come on the 14th of December uh, in terms of uh, low carbon gas and uh, hydrogen, uh, the uh, fossil gas terms has been erased. So I think this is where the Commission made the mistake, thinking, well, it's fossil, so it's bad, and so therefore it needs to be erased now. No. Uh, it, it's fossil. We, we 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 say we said it in our report. It's emitting uh, CO2. It's emitting half the CO2 of uh, coal. And again, if we want to retire the coal plants in Germany, uh, in Poland, then we will need more gas. And I think perhaps the best way to look at it is what our UK friends have done. They've done, uh, except for 2021, let's say, but they've done since 2016 uh, what I call. A coal to gas to renewable switch, and this switch has been smooth, and this switch has allowed the UK to be best in class, best in class uh, when we look at the EUTS of the EU28 from the beginning to 2020 when the UK left us.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so actually, the UK is should as it has in the past, like deregulation and open markets, competition is actually leading the way, even in the transition towards renewable energy.
1: Absolutely, or, mm. absolutely, and, and and again, I mean, uh, the uh, as you as you rightly said, the innovation will come from different part of the world. I I have to say that I'm always deeply shocked when I read the hydrogen strategy from the European Commission published in January 2020, where uh, the math is wrong. So I mean, uh, innovation will come when the maths uh, are right, and uh, maths can be done uh, not only by uh, Uh, some civil servants, but can be done by uh, uh, startups that can thrive and take market share in different ways. Uh, For for one element, what we are saying in the report, I mean, uh, why don't I believe in hydrogen? It's because hydrogen needs two technological uh, uh, bricks, if I can say so. One is the hydrogen economy, but the other one uh, for the gas industry, and sometimes the gas industry is pushing the hydrogen, they need the uh, carbon capture and sequestration. Well, Perhaps having just the carbon capture and sequestration, i.e. being able on one side to produce gas and on the other side to uh, capture and put this CO2 uh, back in the field, could be uh, an interesting uh, business model going forward. Which, by the way, is the business model of the water industry, which sells you clean water, but also sells you the process of treating back the water and putting it uh, back uh, into nature.
0: Oh, I've never heard that analogy before it's very good actually so yeah we we make you clean water and we also treat well yeah i won't say the word and then then we send it back in but so the fossil fuel industry could also do this with ccs
1: absolutely and today at 90 euro per ton this is the unique opportunity so again we may be in a world in 2050 where we still use gas and on the other side the same company that provides you the gas will uh Treat it, and uh, we'll uh, make sure that the CO2 is captured and sequestered uh, somewhere else. Uh, but again, in, in in a place that has been regulated and monitored for this.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry, okay, let I, I'm am going to try to frame it here because I'm I'm interested in a, um, you 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 are pro market and I'm going to stutter my way through here, but you are pro-market, I see, and the, the market should choose the technology. And at one, on one hand, um, we should have foreseen, for example, the gas crisis or the, this high price, we'll just say, in fossil fuels. Um, but then that would entail some government intervention to a, attempt to smooth out those high prices so how can we, how can we, and and I'm glad I don't have to answer this. So I'm asking you, how can we balance this where we need to make sure the market chooses and helps, let's say, bring out new innovative technologies, new innovative, I would say, even resources, that the market decides these things. But at the same time, we have this government intervention that, that helps modulate the, the market as well how can this be done in i'll just throw the term the green deal or how can this be done in the eu through yeah this this tension that's always there between the market forces and regulation
1: yes but perhaps uh, as i told you i was in charge of uh, liberalization the gas sector in france and if i go back to 2002 uh, there was something that i would say was a dogma there which, because we, we never researched on it. We assumed it was right. And the idea was uh, fuel poverty will be erased by 2020 because prices will go down. And again, if you look at what the UK had produced in those years, this was exactly the mood. And nobody questioned it. And I have to say that myself, I didn't question it. And my political master didn't question it. So we we, we started the liberalisation process in 20, 2002, assuming that in 2020, fuel poverty will be uh, something of of, uh, the past it didn't happen this way so i think with those 20 years of uh, mistakes uh, behind us we should be in a position to understand this and 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 again uh, we should have been in a position to forecast this um, and a- again as i stated i mean the eu ets is bringing in 30 billion euro plus this year to uh, member states. So there is uh, some money available. This money available can be used in subsidies. I'm not a huge fan of subsidies. Uh, First of all, um, again, uh, if, if you think at the EU ETS at 90 euro per ton, I think it's great. I think this is the best news we can get. 90 euros per ton is where carbon capture and sequestration could work. And if it doesn't, then, it's, then it, it will never work. That, that's very simple. So we are in a place where innovation can come. And, and again, uh, innovation might not come and may not come from the big companies. Um, the, it's, who leads the electric cars? It, it's not uh, the Volkswagen that, uh, if, I, if, if my memory serves me right, was uh, uh, found guilty of a diesel gate. Uh, so it, it's a Tesla. So this is where we need the young uh, and bright brain to go in, in those small areas. So I think um, subsidies is not so much needed any longer. And, and, and I think it's a good thing because we we, we, we will also stop subsidizing uh, the wind and the solar. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing every single day wind and solar is profitable. Fine. Let's stop all those subsidies. Let's provide a full market for all this and with those 30 billion, then help the people that needs to, uh, in a way that is uh, pushing them to change their habits. That's the way forward. Uh, And and not come in every single day, oh, fine, prices are too high, I I have to find a solution. I mean, what we are saying in this report is also that a year ago, prices were so low that Gazprom was loss-making. Nobody cared. Uh, And and, and again, if, 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 if you've been in this industry like myself for many years, you know that the next cycle is coming. And, 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 and there is a great book of, of a friend of mine, which is called Crude Volatility from Bob McNally. And Bob is always saying, well, I don't know if it's going to go up or down, but I know it's going to be volatile. So uh, if, if, if it reaches a bottom where you're not making any profit, the next cycle is going to be uh, uh, extreme high prices where consumer will complain. So I think it's here that we have, and, and not to look at a toolbox that is desperately the same since the last 20 years. And again, in fuel poverty, that failed.
0: And then I I want to build out two, two points there. One is the fuel poverty, which is maybe I'll frame it as energy efficiency or the necessary investment that's, that's needed in energy efficiency and also Russia. But let's let's stay with the energy efficiency because uh, this is also in the report and and from, from your background as well, is what can en- greater investment to energy efficiency do to help alleviate this boom and bust or up and down of the energy market?
1: Yes, I mean, energy efficiency is something that is... Uh viewed again uh, a bit as a dogma but again where is the energy efficiency coming how are we making this i mean if you go back to uh, how the primary energy consumption has been in europe uh, since uh, 1995 you'll find out that it's only a brief period 2006 to 2014 where we managed to be uh, energy efficient ie to use less primary energy uh, consumption versus growing our gdp and, and and this is, again, uh, thanks to LED lighting. So energy efficiency may not come, uh, as people are always thinking, for insulating uh, uh, buildings. I'm, I'm always hearing this. But again, uh, if you're looking at the outcome of this uh, building insulation, it has been a failure. We didn't manage to do it. Uh, and, and once we've managed to do it, I mean, people want to live in bigger houses. So I think. Um, I w- taking again on the policy on board on policy where the Commission is taking aboard that what we what we were using back in 2000 that failed is not a, a guarantee of success, for me, it's more a guarantee of failure, by the way. So energy efficiency is extremely difficult. Uh, we need to find ways and again, we need to be honest vis-a-vis ourselves. I, I, I have to say that I'm always fighting uh, fake reports. I mean, like the Enstock uh, 2050 report that sell, tells you that to balance the market, uh, they've reduced mobility of EU, uh, of EU citizens. I mean, this doesn't work this way. I mean, it could work as long as it went through a democratic process. Then the question is, are we allowed to fly or not? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with yes. this, but I'm absolutely not fine with some non elected advisors are telling us what to do. Uh, and by the way, they are telling us and going, and they are going from conferences to conferences uh, on, on, on business class with planes.
0: Yes, 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 I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Because this is what the okay, since I, I live in Eastern Europe, but I think it's the same thing, especially in France and for lower income households, it's really a struggle. And, and the projection is that the um, the Fit for 55 packages uh, say that the energy price should increase. And so people have to actually pay more for heating or for their just electricity. And how are they going to afford that, especially if they're living in energy inefficient homes? But the, I, I totally agree. The energy efficiency investments into the homes has been a failure. It's just not it. Well, some countries, we could say, are better than others, but, but still, it's not widespread and, and people still rely on their cars. Um, so, so maybe going forward then in the next, let's just say, 20 years, is the solution more a technology solution of greater R&D and deployment of technologies rather than um, new windows and insulation on homes to save the overall energy, to reduce the overall energy demand?
1: Yes. I mean, it, it, I, I believe way more in technology, and this is where I think subsidies should go. Subsidies should only go to new technologies, nothing to do with markets. I mean, uh, subsidies uh, can help uh, science improve. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I, 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 I When I was a chemist, uh, my uh, uh, professor was uh, Pierre-Gilles Dejeune, so he... Uh, did get a Nobel Prize for superconductivity. It does work in the labs, but it doesn't work in reality. But at least we've improved uh, our, our knowledge. So this is where uh, public money should go, not to uh, build electrolyzers for uh, a company in, uh, in Europe where this company can then sell and make profit out of it. So that's, uh, I think, not fair.
0: Pro-technology, technology and probably, I would say, push some push regu- some regulations to get the new technology into the market. Is that right?
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: And then maybe we can switch to, to Russia. And I was struck, usually in these policy documents, things are a bit more neutral. But I really saw this big push against Russia. And maybe you can correct my perception on that. Is, why, why do you perceive, in my reading of it, Russia as so aggressive in, we'll just say, in the gas market here? Well,
1: I, I think what we are saying is, it's not. Uh, I wouldn't use the word aggressive, but I think there is no more goodwill, and uh, I, I think we've killed the goodwill of of Russia. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not dealing with the uh, Ukraine or the fighting. That's that's not my area of combat. my area of competence is energy, and and again, I think. That uh, with uh, relabeling uh, gas, fossil gas, with uh, having this COP26 and all those elements, uh, showing that gas is not needed, we've just. Uh, made them uh, antagonize them we, we we've pushed them in the corner and and i don't think it's very good to push in the corner some somebody that provides you 40 percent of your uh, gas uh, supply that's that, that's the first element and 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 you can see in this report the russian have been uh, very uh, blunt and uh, uh, very uh, transparent, saying, well, uh, you didn't like us for the last so many decades uh, and uh, we are producing more and more gas for yourself. So at the end of the day, uh, we, we are producing, uh, as we said, Russian, but also uh, we are selling it at a price that uh, you decided, uh, which is uh, the spot price. And, and, and so we've made the market, uh, they've made the investment. And uh, normally, and this is back to those uh, early years, there should have been an interdependency. Uh, so we uh, uh, provide you the euros, you provide the gas. Uh, we don't like you so much, but at the end of the day, we we, we trade. And, and this is what traders are doing. This is exactly what, the, what, what a trading organization is all about. Um, but but again, you can't do this if days in, days out, you're trading to the other party, you're a horrible person. Uh, Because the horrible person starts to be uh, um, pissed, if I can say uh, so, about this uh, uh, attitude. And so, uh, yes, uh, we've uh, made their life more difficult with uh, Nord Stream 2. And this was our our, our right to do so. Um, We've overseen... uh, a Ukrainian transit contract uh, and in this Ukrainian transit contract uh, they are transiting less gas in 2021 versus 2020 so you sh- we should have been aware that there were going to be a bit of an issue there uh, and and nobody seems to be interested about this at the EU level and uh, uh, they uh, I, I think uh, if you understand this and now you are on the other side of the table they played it smart uh, well, you don't need gas. Uh, we, you're telling us it doesn't really matter to you. Uh, last year, they provided gas at extreme low prices, and this wasn't profitable for them. Um, so, yes, we'll provide you what you've asked in the contract, and then we will see how things works. And uh, I think it's, uh, um, again, I, I would use the word no more goodwill. And, and, and I think what we are saying also in this report is uh, the Russians and I've been a member of the EU Russia Gazette Advisory Council, the, the, Russia, the Russians need to be, uh, they, 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 they like to be uh, taken care of at the table. So they want to be uh, in the discussion process. You, we cannot tell them, well, you're out of the discussion because you're Russian and you, we don't like you. This doesn't work this way. Uh, even if you're traded you need to trade even if it's on a screen you will need to trade with the other party with the counterparty this is what everybody knows uh, in business and uh, as you've seen um, once the economy was picking up uh, in uh, June, July, August I mean you've seen uh, President uh, Biden asking for more oil for OPEC but we haven't heard anything from the Commission and I think this is also where the Russian wanted to strike a point. I mean, they, the 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 Commission seems to think that they are irrelevant to the system. Well, uh, if we are, if I'm irrelevant to the system, let's see how it, the system works if I'm not there. And the outcome is very obvious, the system doesn't work. So, I mean, you can't, you cannot say on a political level, uh, the Russians are irrelevant. And so therefore you need to engage at a high level, political, uh, at a higher political level with the Russian to try to find a solution. And, and here, what we were saying in the report, I think is even more um, important and, uh, uh, in the news today, I mean, you've seen that the Russian government, after our report, is thinking of allowing Rosneft to use a Nord Stream 2, uh, to push gas, uh, uh, in Europe. And uh, this could be done for many reasons. It could be done because then this will make Nord Stream 2 more compliant. It could be done because uh, it will uh, allow to spread the investment between Gazprom and Rosneft. It could be done because it creates a little bit of competition between uh, two Russian companies. I don't know, but I think, uh, and this is what we were alluding, not stating, because this wasn't the news at the time, uh, this is a perfect moment for the European Commission to pick the ball. I mean, the European Commission has dreamt of this idea for the last 10 years. So this is the exact moment where Australia Bandanians should pick the ball, pick a phone, and phone the Russian government, and try to find a high-level political meeting with uh, Vladimir Putin, Biden did, by the way, uh, last week, but to try to look at all this Nord Stream 2, Rostneft, and uh, the uh, gas deliveries into Europe, which were at record low in November, which is creating a problem uh, to uh, the European and exacerbating back these prices. So I think we were saying Russia fight back in, in our report, but we were also saying, as a conclusion, it needs to be a high level political meeting between the two leaders. And I think the news flow of the last couple of days is exactly where we wanted uh, this to uh, to come. And now it's the European Commission opportunity. We will see if they pick it up or not.
0: So just to clarify then, the Rosneft is being proposed as a second supplier into Nord Stream 2.
1: The Rosneft has asked the government, as it has for many, many years, and uh, the Russian government has publicly stated they are looking into Rosneft request, which is a very, very new way, because you're going to change the export monopoly, you're going to change the way you're collecting the export duty, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's, it's a unique opportunity for us Europeans to re-engage with Russia at the highest level uh, and uh, to say, well, That's maybe a very good idea. That's, by the way, what we uh, dreamed of and pushed for the last 10 years. So, I mean, we we cannot uh, pass, uh, just look at this opportunity and not uh, take the ball, pick the ball and uh, pick our phone and uh, have a meeting in Moscow.
0: But do you think that uh, it's it's a big problem or a problem that that the EU has not, or we could maybe say Germany, I mean, we, we don't get into the whole approval process for Nord Stream 2, but that Nord Stream 2 hasn't been approved by the, as I understand, the German regulator, and so it's not operating. But, I mean, in a sense, this was agreed on that the Nord Stream 2 could be built, and then now there's it's not being allowed to be used. Is Are the Russians upset about this?
1: Well, I think uh, the Russians are upset about this, but again, I think that... Uh... By pushing prices a bit up, uh, as uh, they they did intentionally or non-intentionally—that's something else—they knew uh, that Nord Stream 2 wasn't going to be fast-tracked. I think I think where analysts are making a big mistake saying is they've done this for Nord Stream 2. That that's that can't be the case because if you alienate the other party, it's the other party is going to make your life more difficult. So I think the the Nord Stream 2 was not something. Uh, on the table uh, when the Russians uh, uh, decided to push less gas in Europe. I think it's uh, something else. It's, it's more the Green Deal and, and the COP26. But as, as, as you rightly said, I mean, now we are stuck. We are stuck in, in, in a way where we, it's not certified. The new, um, uh, the new German government is not in favor of it any longer. Um, And and so therefore, it can only be at a high political meeting and it it can only be, and this is what we are saying in this report, it can't be the Germans. So it's also a good way uh, for uh, the European Union to say, well, now we pick the ball, let's leave the the Germans out of this. Uh, It is a European project. It is something that must be dealt with not only Germany, but with Poland, with Ukraine and with Russia. And we need to find a global solution. And, and, and the global solution, I mean, the Russian is nearly, uh, the Russian government is nearly giving us the, the, the global solution. I mean, if you read the news, the idea is to allow Rosneft to uh, push 10 BCM per year of gas via Nord Stream 2. It can be exactly this. If, if you do the math, uh, Ukraine was 65 BCM transit last year. 55 in reality, but 65 in contract. 40 BCM this year and for the coming years. So we are 10 BCM short. So yes, it could be one way to say yes, we will start to use this pipe just for Rasnev, just for 10 BCM. The rest will continue via Ukraine. And, 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 And you can do something like this. You can do something where you say it is the additional volume that goes through Nord Stream 2 and not the baseload volume that goes to Ukraine.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, the, reflecting on Ukraine, the role of Ukraine as well, and maybe maybe we'll, we'll start to shift away from it, is just how do, do you see Nord Stream 2 completely replacing the Ukrainian transit and the Ukrainian transit just ceasing or because this is even, um, I've I've spoken with Margarita Balmaceda in the past and she's a Russian expert on on the gas and the flow of gas. And so Ukraine just even needs this transit to keep the pressure up in the pipeline for domestic consumption. And do you you see the Russians shifting more and more uh, even to an unsustainable level for the Ukrainian system to Nord Stream 2?
1: Well, that was the idea of the Russians from day one uh, to uh, move away totally from Ukraine, uh, uh, thanks to uh, uh, South Stream and North Stream 2. Uh, again, we know what the outcome uh, could be, so we we have opportunities. We can mitigate this outcome ahead, and, and it goes back to is gas more needed or less needed in the energy transition, and and and, and, and again. I, I was one of the, of the one when this contract in December 2019 was enacted to say, well, instead of this, we should have had a global contract for more volumes under a longer period with a uh, complete flexibility of the Russians to use it when they want. I was saying we could have 300 BCM over 10 years, which means 30 BCM minimum per year, which is the sustainable level of the Ukrainian or 60 BCM for the, for the five years. And, 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 and you and, and you have what you need. So I think uh, we need to revise this contract for longer. Ukraine, as you said, needs those volumes. But Ukraine's also... And let's not be very... I mean, we have to be also honest vis-a-vis ourselves. Ukraine needs the money. Ukraine's need mm-hmm. the money. And, and, and this is what makes the Ukrainian economy uh, sustainable. So Ukraine needs those $1.3 billion uh, per, per year. And let's be very honest... We want uh, Gazprom to pay for this money because we Europeans can't pay for this. So, I, I, I mean, real politics is also looking at what's real, not what we are dreaming of or, or fairy tales. And, and, and so once you're looking at the real politics, then you can find a solution.
0: Mm-hmm. So you'd be more supportive of returning uh, or slightly supportive of returning to uh, long-term contracts? or
1: uh, Well, I think... We will have, uh, I think, I mean, what Vladimir Putin asked in the long term contract is exactly what the uh, energy minister in France asks for electricity contract. Uh, So, yes, I mean, if you want to have a a big project, something that is 10, 20, 30 billion uh, dollars, uh, Capex, you need somehow some security, and, and this goes back to your first question. Let's provide security, a long-term contract. So yes, I mean it's not going to be a thirty years contract, but twenty years contract can uh, can help. Uh, you could see uh, a long-term contract with uh, a ceiling and a floor. You can see long-term contract with less volatility, even if they are uh, uh, if, even if they are uh, on 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 a spot pricing. So those are the elements. And and again, uh, we need this if we uh, if if we, if we look at what the reality is going to be tomorrow, not what we are dreaming of.
0: Mm-hmm. And Terry, um, my second last question, second to last question, and I think we can we can finish up is is and you referred to this beginning about um, the impact on society. Is how do we bring society along in this energy transition?
1: Well, I think in in society you have. Two parts of society. You have a very uh, vocal minority uh, that is uh, shouting uh, every day, and you have, I suppose, some of them in your course, uh, and you have a huge uh, majority that is extremely silent. Uh, and the huge majority that is extremely silent. Uh, believe what the small uh, vocal minority is saying because they are the only one uh, being on stage, and and so therefore they do not question this. I'm 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 afraid to say that the energy uh, literacy in uh, engineering school is not very high. That's, that's, uh, that's an element. And, and and so therefore, we need to educate. And I think this is where also I'm teaching a lot. We need to educate people. I mean, at the end of the day, what the democratic regime will uh, select is I'm fine with it, but it needs to be through a democratic system. If It's what I'm saying to my students. If we want to reduce mobility and we decide to stop Low cost uh, uh, planes during weekends for you not to have weekends in other part of in Budapest or uh, in in Ibiza. I'm fine with it, but it needs to go through a democratic process. Uh, And, and when you say this to students, they start to realize, well, that's, they like to travel and they like to uh, use energy and the energy demand is not going to go down. So I think we, we, we have, we, we, we have a real work to do, which is educating our, our, our people and our policymakers. I mean, uh, you, you, you can go to a COP26, by a private jet to say, people just don't use your SUV. But I mean, that, that's fine. But is this the only story we have to sell to the people?
0: One, one last uh, question is what kind of energy system, and I'm really interested by your answer, what kind of energy system are we going to see in 2050?
1: Well, as I said, I'm I'm not a big fan of uh, hydrogen. I, I believe much more in what I was alluding to you, uh, carbon capture and sequestration. I think that uh, if we manage the technology, uh, uh, and and again, we we've done some few things. We've done stypners in uh, in Norway. Uh, uh, we, we have some new projects opening in uh, in Australia. So if we are able to manage this technology and to plug this uh, CO2 uh, down in the ground, uh, then we will do this uh, virtual cycle, which is to continue to use um, oil and gas and to be able to uh, stack the CO2 back in the ground. I, I, again, when, you, when you're seeing the advantages of oil and gas, you know what they are good at in terms of energy per volume you know where they are bad at which is uh, a security of supply dependency etc but we've dealt with those issues for the last uh, nearly century Uh, if we move to completely renewable uh, people are uh, dreaming of what they are good at but they are also not understanding the drawbacks i'll give you two one of them is uh, people are always telling me well Um, the uh, volatility in renewable in in, in oil and gas volatility in prices is increasing yes it's increasing because you're putting more renewable in the system and it's more intermittent so you are going to have a backup solution more and more at the time that you can't forecast so that's the first element Uh, the other element is all the rare earth issues Uh, are we going to be uh, to find China being nice to us and uh, providing us the system, or is China going at some stage to decide, well, guys, you're going to have to pay much more or you're not going to get those. So I think um, we, we uh, I, I am more in favor of step-by-step process, where, by the way, policy leaders are liable of CO2 being reduced each year. So my, my thing is, instead of thinking of net zero in 2050, let's make sure that each year the dot goes down. And as a policy leader, you should be liable for this. And if this happens, the European Commission is going to face a very, very tough early 2020 year because 2021 data are going to be up as we can all forecast vis-a-vis 2020. But let's not ask, let's not look at 2020, but also vis-a-vis 2019, which for me is uh, the the uh, fact that this commission has failed.
0: Wow, you're yeah, right, right. And so our 2020 targets were not even met. Exactly. Okay, Terry, thank you so much for giving us the time for this interview. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Michael.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting-edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make it. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are the most active on the My Energy 2050 webpage, or on Twitter and Facebook. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.